the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at PastorScott at KKLA.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Call Pastor Scott now at 888-528-2557. That's 888-528-2557. And now, here's Pastor Scott. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Pastor Scott Show. Great to be with you today, as we are each and every day from 3 to 5. Big story of the day. One of them, of course, is the hurricane that is hitting in uh, Florida and Georgia and uh, maybe South Carolina here pretty soon. And uh, that's a big deal. I hope that those of us in Southern California don't feel like we're in a position now to give advice to people in Florida on this. I think they can handle it. And uh, here is a little bit from uh, Governor uh, DeSantis. Our lines are still hot and live, and there's going to be people working to to remedy that, and we've got a lot of people staged, but that is very hazardous in the immediate aftermath of the storm. We currently have 54,000 households that are out of power throughout the state of Florida, but there have been over 100,000 households that have already been restored through hard work uh, all through the night, and those restoration efforts are ongoing. Any place it's safe to do, people are there working to get that done. Uh, As soon as it's safe to do so, when the winds uh, die down to a sufficient level, search and rescue efforts will begin. Uh, We have eight urban search and rescue teams staged, ready to go, 33 ambulance strike teams, 5,500 National Guardsmen. Uh, We also have the Coast Guard on standby, uh, should that be necessary. There will be an immediate effort to restore power to people who lose power. There's 30,000-plus linemen stationed and ready to go to commence restoration efforts. For local municipalities and electric co-ops, please accept mutual aid. These are folks that can come supplement your efforts. And, again, the goal is just to get everybody back online as quickly as possible. There will be a lot of debris from this storm. There's going to be a need to uh, to have all hands on deck. All right, that was uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who suspended his presidential campaign, as he should, to take care of uh, the hurricane and what's happening in Florida. And uh, hit, I think, as a Category 3. It's a Category 1 as it goes over uh, Georgia and some other places. And uh, they're a little concerned that it could speed up a little bit more as it hits uh, into South Carolina. Uh, a tree fell. A, a, a tree fell at the governor's mansion. And... Uh, uh, DeSantis's house, basically, a hundred-year-old oak Meanwhile, tree. Meanwhile, I mentioned 
trees were the big issue. Even the governor impacted by this. His wife, Casey DeSantis, tweeted out this photo saying 100-year-old oak tree falls on the governor's mansion in Tallahassee. Mason, Madison, Mammy, and I were at home at the time, but thankfully no one was injured. Our prayers are with everyone impacted by the storm. So, Neil, right now it's just a cleanup effort across the town, picking up these trees and also getting the power restored. But thankfully, we didn't have that issue of flooding in this area. Yeah, there's a lot of flooding, though, in different parts of the state and different areas. So we definitely want to be praying for those people. And, uh, you know, it's significant that part of the country has learned to deal with this, uh, you know, fairly well, I think. And, uh, you know, an interesting thing, and I want to play this comment, too, and I want to talk about this for a minute, because there's always a a sort of a political uh, aspect of a lot of this stuff, because uh, not just the presidential race, but because there's also a federal response and there's a local response. And something that I think everybody ought to be super understand, we really need to understand this because of the politic about it. And because we live in a place where we're going to have an earthquake at some point that is a major disaster, Right. Everybody agree that if you're in Southern California, that's coming one day. Right. We, we know that it's coming someday and it's going to be significant. And, you know, who is it that really is responsible for uh, helping us out? Um, something I think it's important to know is it's the local governments, actually, that there might be a lot of pressure on the federal government, on FEMA or the president. And, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about that related to Maui here in a minute. But I think that we have to understand that legally speaking, Almost everything that's being done and the preparations for these things and then the cleanup and the follow-up and everything else, it begins and typically ends with local governments. So the people that you vote on in your ballot, they're the ones other than the top of the ballot, not the federal people, but the local state and city people. They deal with the local disasters, with the fires and with earthquakes, the hurricanes, tornadoes, whatever the disaster is. The politic of it is they will – when they're different parties in particular, uh, the biggest example of this would be Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana is that there's a lot of blame shifting that goes on, particularly if there's an election or something serious go on. You know, President Bush got hammered over Hurricane Katrina and the FEMA response, and there were some issues, you know, when he came down there and said, you're doing a heck of a job, a job Brownie. <laughs> he laughed, and, and Brownie wasn't doing that that great of a job, you know, with the FEMA people. However – the most the most important thing to understand about that is actually the mayor of New Orleans and the governor of Louisiana were 100 percent responsible for all of that stuff. And uh, that is understanding how our government works. It's important to know that President Biden and uh, Ron DeSantis had a phone call today. And this is what President Biden had to say about it. Uh, Mr. President, Governor DeSantis is also running for president. Uh, you are running for re-election. Do you sense any politics in your conversations with him about this issue? No, believe it or not. I know that sounds strange, especially how the nature of politics today. I don't think it sounds that strange. I get why he's saying that, but I think that more often than not, it's really not strange that the president and the governor, even if they're of different parties, even when they happen to be running against each other, I think that they get along most of the time pretty well during these things. I know that sounds strange, especially how the, the nature of politics today. But, you know, I was down there when the last major storm. I spent a lot of time with him, walking from village to from community to community, making sure he had what he needed to get it done. I think he trusts my judgment and my desire to help. 
And I trust him to be able to suggest that he's, this is not about politics, it's about taking care of the people of the state. That's a super good answer from the president. That's what uh, we need from President Biden and Ron DeSantis and Governor Kemp and anybody else of Georgia and anybody else who is involved politically with this who might be on different teams that you got to get along for the sake of the people. And I think they're doing that. I think at least in this case, they're doing that. And that is something that, that matters. Now, there's a controversy. There's always, you know, the politics of it and a lot of eyeballs on it, right? You know, is Governor DeSantis going to do a good job at governing during this time? You know, is the federal government for with whatever role that they play, are they going to play that role well or are they going to mess it up like the Katrina situation? You know, how much of that's political, how much of it is real on the ground? There's actually a document uh, that FEMA puts out, which I kind of it's a great document. I kind of laugh at it, though, a little bit. It's called uh, the FEMA Citizens Guide to Disaster Assistance. I just put it on the Pastor Scott Show Twitter. FEMA's uh, Citizens Guide to Disaster Assistance. And it's it spends a lot of time in the beginning explaining the difference between the local governments and the federal government. And it says local governments are the first line of defense against emergencies and disasters and are primarily responsible for managing the response to and recovery from those events. And then it goes on to talk about the local government level and the primary responsibility. Since disasters often disrupt water supply, local governments must ensure that residents receive drinking water, not FEMA, right? And legally, all of this is true. And that's something that we should know. And it talks about fire and police units, emergency medical personnel, personnel, rescue workers, all of these people. It's local, 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 local. And uh, I think it's funny that the federal government, Citizens Guide to Disaster Assistance, spends an awful lot of time saying it's not us. Don't look to us. But they're correct. It is legally correct. So FEMA will come in and they will help with different things later on. And uh, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But I think that's important for us to know. You know, sometimes on our show, I like to help us sort of look through the politics of it and realize that there's a big difference between the federal government and the local government. I think we live in an era where we think the federal government has a lot more authority than it does, honestly. Uh, There's a lot of words that come from the federal government, but local matters a lot. I hope we learned that from, uh, from the COVID Right. And from what might be coming up here pretty soon with perhaps more mask mandates. They really should wear the mask. See, that's a local government official right there who was asking kids to uh, telling kids they have to wear the mask or they can't go to summer school. Uh, That was from a superintendent in San Diego last summer. They really should wear the mask. Like You couldn't go to summer school in the summer of 2022 if you weren't wearing a mask. That's a local person. Right. And whatever we have these things, it's important for us to understand this. I, I stress this. Because whatever President Biden might say about uh, the COVID or about disaster response and stuff, there's some responsibility, but the local stuff matters. Uh, our governor, our mayors, our city officials, uh, it matters a lot. And, it, and we really and, – and the FEMA document really points that out. Now, when the government's going to get involved, they need to do a good job. All right, this is the Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. If you want to join the conversation, Susan and Whittier, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Hi, Pastor. Hi, Susan. Um, I'm, calling, I'm, I'm calling because I, um, I went back to school when I was 50 years old, and I ended up, I got my master's, and I decided that I was going to be a marriage and family therapist. And I just want to let you know the requirements to get a license, you have to do 3,000 hours, which is children hours, group mm-hmm. hours, individual supervision, all that. 
not only that, but when afterwards, when you have finished all your hours and presented that to the Board of Behavioral Sciences, you have to take a test. And Susan, and this I'm is telling a, you, hold on a minute here, Susan. So you're talking about age requirements. Cause last hour, we were talking yes. a lot about the age requirements. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh-huh. We've moved on to the hurricane subject now. But oh, my I, goodness. No, okay. No worries, but Susan. I'm just saying that there should be some requirements yeah. for a president because, you know, with licensing for a therapist, it's to do no harm. Right. You I know, appreciate, they're, they're watch, I appreciate all that, of that, so. Susan. And, you know, okay. I think I think the way it fits in now, right, is that people yeah. are going to look at our governing officials to see if they're going to mm-hmm. do a good job or are they a little slow on it, right? And that might have to do with age. But uh, last hour, if you weren't listening, last hour. Thank you, Susan, for calling the Pastor Scott Show. We, we talked a lot about the age and of our leaders and what to do about it because of some of the issues in the news today uh, regarding that. Um, it certainly fits into what's happening here, though, right, is that, you know, if our, if our leaders are incapable for one reason or another during a disaster, or they're too slow, or they, they don't understand what's happening, it can affect things. So to get back to the subject here, it's important that we understand that local governments are the ones responsible for really everything when a disaster comes. And just be aware that there's a shifting of blame that can happen and that does happen all the time in politics between local governments and between federal and state. But we are a nation of states. And that if you understand that, you understand a lot of where we're coming from. Now, I'm telling you that story so I can tell you this. The uh, the Maui thing is uh, is coming into the picture because people are looking at what's happening at Florida and they're saying, you know what? This seems like it's being handled by everybody much, much better than the fire that happened in Maui. The fire in Maui is the largest, most deadly natural fire that uh, fire disaster that our country has ever had. Um, and they think the death rate is going to be anywhere between about 400 and maybe 1,000. And uh, the numbers are kind of fuzzy. I was trying to read into that today because there's still hundreds of people missing. They put out a list of people missing yesterday and uh, I think about 400 people names and about 100 people called up and said, I'm not missing, right? So maybe not a thousand people dead, but it's going to be hundreds. It's it's a horrific, horrific disaster uh, that happened in Maui and there's going to be a lot of fights. And, and honestly, a lot of the criticism is because of what happened on the ground and it's local officials. So President Biden's getting some flack, and uh, I want to focus on one thing that the federal government is doing. It's the amount of money per household they're giving people for help there, because uh, I, I did a bunch of numbers. If you want to know how much it would cost you to actually give people the maximum allowed by law in Maui, I'm going to tell you here in a few minutes. The number is 888-528-2557, 888 uh, but keep in mind that the Maui situation, the electric company, the local government, the people who did the sirens, the people who did the, the, uh, the you know, the police, every local agency, uh, mostly, it sounds like pretty much messed up. And they're going to sue each other and they're going to get sued and there's going to be, you know, a whole lot of stuff there. 888-528-2557 is the number, 888-528-2557. So President Biden's... Um, Spokesperson Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about the Maui response versus the Florida response by Fox News reporter. This is how that exchange went. It seems like the hurricane response so far is robust. Did you guys realize that the initial Hawaii wildfire response was not that good? Or is it just easier for people to get help from the White House when the president is not on vacation? (laughs) 
Now, that is a very political question. The president was on vacation a lot, and he's getting a lot of heat for that. We've talked about why you need to show up, right, that the president should have been a Maui right away, that there is a role of the president, even in these disasters, to be there, to hug the people, to listen, to be present. It just is. And the governors have to do that. Local people, too. The president does. A lot of criticism for President Biden on that. Um, But uh, this is the response from Karine Jean-Pierre. So the premise of your question and the way you pose your question, I disagree, just for the record. Definitely did not like that question. Uh, so if you talk to, if you were to do your reporting and speak to the governor of Hawaii, the senators uh, of Hawaii, the folks on the ground, they would say that the president reacted in record time when he... No, they, they don't say. There's people who say that who are in the president's party, but a lot of the people on the ground are not too happy about it. ...came to dealing with the wildfires, uh, when it came to dealing and making sure that they got everything that they need on the federal level to deal with what was going on on the ground. Let's not forget there were more than 600 uh, uh, federal employees on the ground already to assist uh, with the wildfires in Maui. So your question is, is wrong, it's flawed in many, many ways. And I would, I, would, uh, I would advise you to go speak to the governor and the local and state officials in, in, uh, in Hawaii. Now, the weird thing about this, and if you're just joining us, we're talking about the disasters and the, the response of the different parties' uh, presidential candidates, uh, DeSantis and Biden, for example, the different political parties, and how these disasters can be politicized and people can shift blame. And we want to emphasize that it is the local government's responsibility, even in Hawaii. The biggest problems here are local. They're super local. Now, in this case, it's not a different party than the president. Everybody's a Democrat who's involved here. And uh, so two things from that response. Number one, of course, the Democrats are going to say the Democratic president did a good job. But the other thing here is that I think it's important to understand is that actually those local authorities are the ones who, for the most part, have the responsibility of why things went as badly as they did. And maybe there's not a lot they can do. I mean, the winds and the situation, uh, it's horrific what happened there. Um, And the federal government, FEMA, she mentioned all those people on the ground. uh, That's fine. But it's as FEMA points out, it's not really them. One of the controversies, though, is this. The Federal Emergency Management uh, Association, what is it, Uh, FEMA, anyway, it's Federal Emergency Management, Uh, they, I forget what the A is, it's, uh, they are giving people $700 per household to uh, help them in their time of need, Uh, the people who qualify for that, $700. Now, imagine that your entire house has been burned down, that you perhaps have lost family members, you've lost everything you own, and the most you're going to get is $700 from the federal government. Now, the federal government doesn't have to give you anything, just you know, technically, legally, to understand that. But if they're going to give you something, they're going to give you $700. And this was doubled down on today by um, the FEMA administration, well, Federal Emergency and Management Administration. That's the word I couldn't think about today. People are going to say I'm too old to do uh, this job today. FEMA, um, De- FEMA's uh, administrator, Deanne Chriswell had to had said this today. The critical needs assistance that was provided to those in Maui, $700 in payments to individuals there, given the cost of living in Hawaii, specifically in the Lahaina community. Is anything being done right now? Are there considerations or efforts being made to try to raise that cap, that $700 figure for those who are there? 
Yeah, the $700 figure of critical needs assistance is really just that amount of funding for some of the very immediate needs um, that individuals have. Uh, every year, the, the main part of our assistance, which is our individual and household program, adjusts annually based on inflation. This year, it's $41,000 of a cap that individuals can get. Uh, that will get raised after the um, fiscal year. I, I don't know what that number is yet, but we do adjust that main portion of the funding that goes to individuals annually based on inflation. All right. So $700, that's all they're going to get right now. But she threw in there something interesting that the legally they're up to $41,000 per household is possible. Possible. Now, in a minute, I'm going to do some, <clears throat> excuse me, some math for you. I looked it up, you know, and it's not individual, by the way. They were saying the individuals get $700. It's not. It's per household. Okay, so however you define a household, so mom and dad and kids or just a single adult. So there's a lot of ways you might define what the household is. How many households, you can look up this information, how many households are in Maui altogether? Uh, there's 54,000, roughly 54,000 households in Maui. Now, all of them were not uh, not going to receive cash, but let's just assume for a minute that everybody in Maui who lives there gets $700, every household. How much money is that? It's $37,800,000. That's it. Uh, that's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money, right? So when we're talking about billions of dollars going all over the place in the federal government, um, 37, almost $38 million is nothing. Uh, so I thought I'd do some numbers here and I thought, well, what would happen if, uh, you know, if we really paid everybody the maximum amount that they can get in Maui? And, uh, so I did a bunch of numbers and then I wanted to know when we think about these numbers and we start to think about billions of dollars, how much per taxpayer is that? Right? If you're thinking about all the money that we're giving to Ukraine or other foreign aid or just dumb stuff that the the government spends money on, the government spent money, I read this thing about how on gambling habits with pigeons. I didn't know pigeons did that. You know, maybe they t- place some bets on the windshield targets and whatever else the pigeons do. Um, it, apparently, there's some science to the gambling habits with slot machines and pigeons and how that relates to human beings and our addiction to slot machines. Um, and uh, we're spending an awful lot of money on that. There's there's tons of things that the federal government spends money on. I wanted to put into perspective, though, how much of that comes out of your pocket if you're a taxpayer and how much of the $37 million comes out of your pocket? And what if we gave everybody who lost everything in Maui $41,000? How much of that comes out of your pocket? How does it work? I'll tell you that when we come back. This is the Pastor Scott Show. Number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. If you miss an hour of the show, you can subscribe to the pod, podcast. Look for the Pastor Scott Show, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Wednesday edition continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show. critical needs assistance that was provided to those in Maui, $700 in payments to individuals there, given the cost of living in Hawaii, specifically in the Lahaina community. Is anything being done right now? Are there considerations or efforts being made to try to raise that cap, that $700 figure for those who are there? 
Yeah, the $700 figure of critical needs assistance is really just that amount of funding for some of the very immediate needs um, that individuals have. Uh, every year, the, the main part of our assistance, which is our individual and household program, adjusts annually based on inflation. This year, it's $41,000 of a cap that individuals can get. Uh, that will get raised after the um, fiscal year. I, I don't know what that number is yet, but we do adjust that main portion of the funding that goes to individuals annually based on inflation. That was the FEMA administration, uh, Denise Criswell, talking about $700 that's being given to households in Maui who have suffered because of the fire. And uh, there's controversy about how much money that that's it. That's all you're getting is $700. Uh, in the last segment, we talked about the responsibilities of local government and how really they're responsible for all of this. But FEMA comes in and they do things. Right now, it's only $700. And uh, it is significant that that doesn't do a lot for you. It probably pays your last electric bill, which you have to pay to the electric company that burned down your house and did everything uh, there. And, uh, you know, it's it's enough maybe to to deal with some of that horrific things. I don't even know where you get your mail, actually, at this point uh, for a lot of people there who are, who are suffering. But I, I want to do some math. And it's $700 per household. And I, I thought, you know, I'm somebody who talks a lot about the, the national debt and how much money we spend. And But if we're going to spend some money, this seems like a good place to send, spend some money. And I wondered, what happens? So you have $700. And what I did was there's, there are 54,000 households on Maui. Not all of them are going to qualify for any money. They didn't suffer any any. Uh, loss of this kind. Everybody, I think, on Maui has suffered uh, tremendously, actually, for sure. Every person on Maui probably lost a loved one. They certainly, there's a lot that's going to be lost because of lost jobs and tourism will be gone. There's a whole lot of problems there. So let's just assume everybody on Maui is affected. That's 54,000 households, okay? 54,000 households times $700, that would be $37,800,000. That's um, uh, that's how much that is. So then I thought, well, what if we increased it? What if we said, you know what, I think those people deserve the maximum that we can give them. Apparently, the maximum allowable for FEMA to give to these houses right now is $41,000. $41,000 per household. You know, it sounds like a lot, but it's not a lot when you've lost everything, right? The LA Times reported today that in Los Angeles, uh, it costs about $80,000 to be able to stay afloat as a single person, you know, they probably throw things in there that you don't need. I'm sure that some of you have managed to do that unless, but uh, that number is probably fairly close. Maui is expensive. Hawaii is expensive. A lot of people there are poor, by the way. They're super poor. And uh, it's, you know, there's luxurious places to live and there's some luxurious resorts, but there's a lot of poverty and a lot of struggling that goes on in uh, Hawaii. Okay, so $41,000 per household. Uh, that, that'll get you by for a while. That would cost $2,214,000,000. How much is that per each one of us taxpayers? Have you thought about that? When you hear about billions going to this and billions going to that, billions with a B, how much money uh, is that? per taxpayer. So I thought I'm going to do some math. I'm curious. So I looked it up. There are 168 million taxpayers. All right. So there's 330 something million Americans and a lot of them are taxpayers though, right? A lot of them are kids and and uh, they're not taxpayers. So 168 million taxpayers. But out of the 168 million taxpayers, uh, it's 112,000 people who actually pay taxes. 
Okay, so that means that there's a lot of you out there who, uh, because of your income level, by the time you do all your write-offs and everything, you don't pay any federal taxes. You pay it in other places and you pay it in the gas and and we're taxed all over the place, right? I get that. Um, And there's corporate taxes and some other things. But just to simplify all of this, uh, 112,000 Americans pay federal income tax, actually have to pay it. Uh, you don't get it back in a refund. It's about two-thirds, okay? So about two-thirds of American taxpayers. And that's a whole other subject, right? But how much would that be? So if we gave everybody in Maui, every household in Maui, $41,000, 112 million people, they say 112,000, 112 million, 112 million taxpayers. Uh, you know how much that is? It's $19.77 per taxpayer. So in my household, it would be less than 40 bucks. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing, right? So it would cost me less than $40 or our house, me and Christy, $40 to help families who lost everything in Maui. I'd be willing to give that $40, right? I think that's a, that's a, it's interesting, right? When you think about, well, what is this $2.2 billion? You know, how much is that? Well, it's $40 per taxpayer. And you know what? There's a bunch of you out there who you don't pay federal taxes. You get all of your money returned to you because you probably give $40 too, I mean, and I think it says something about the abundance that we have in our country, right? That says a lot that it's 40 bucks per that we could actually, and why are we only giving them 700, right? That's what comes up in my brain all of a sudden. It's like, wait a minute, if it's only 40 bucks and a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of the money I pay in taxes, it seems like that should be the agenda, right? It seems like, why aren't we, why aren't we helping these people out a lot more? Uh, I went and I took a look at some other things, Okay. Uh, you know, one of the biggest line items in the federal budget, you know what it is? It is the interest that we pay on the national debt, just the interest. All right. So like the interest on your credit card or your interest on your home loan or your interest on your car payment, just the interest on the 32, whatever it is, trillion dollars of debt that we have now. Every year, we pay $476 billion just the interest on the debt. If you want to know why the debt is such a big deal... We can't figure out how to come up with $2 billion to send to the residents of Maui to just give them the maximum allowable um, you know, help from FEMA. We're only going to give them $700, which is nothing. Um, we can't come up with this money. Part of it, there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of things that can be cut. But a big part of it is $475 billion, $476 billion. You know how much of your taxes go – uh, to the interest, if we just do it by individuals, $4,250, $4,250 per year per taxpayer. That's what you're paying on interest. You're, so Christy and I are paying $8,500 a year. $8,500 a year goes to not fund the government, not pay for roads, not pay for uh, people in Maui, not pay for the military, not pay for anything else, $475 billion, $6 billion. And out of that, ten thousand or 8500 of it comes from Christy and I. That's a big place of where your money's going. Uh, to put it in perspective, the budget of NASA is $29 billion in 2022. $29 billion. That's not even close to the number that we're paying on the debt. The entire military budget in 2021 was $800 billion. So the interest that we're paying on the debt is about 60% of the interest of the entire cost of the United States military. That's extraordinary. I mean, do we, are we able to 
wrap our minds around this. It, it matters so it's, it's such a huge deal. The entire budget of the state of Virginia is $81 billion. And we're paying multiple times that in interest alone to the national debt. Aid to Ukraine. I think a lot of people say, well, where do we get the money to send them the uh, $2 billion? Well, aid to Ukraine, $77 billion has been spent. I think it's approved up to something like $113 billion, something like that. It's pretty significant. Uh, I would think we could send $2 billion of that over to Maui and say, hey, you know what? I'll bet some of that cash can go over there. There are so many things that we could do to help people. And, you know, there's legal things that are complicated and there's foreign policy versus, you know, domestic policy and stuff. But we're watching another disaster play out in Florida and Georgia, maybe South Carolina. There will likely be huge uh, needs of many of our people, many of whom are going to lose everything. Hopefully we won't have the death toll that they're having in Maui, but we're many of whom are going to lose everything. I feel like as taxpayers, do you agree that if we're going to spend money from each one of us that we really should be able to help each other out. See, I think that there's so much abundance. See, because it's not even, oh, don't send any money to Ukraine. It's you can spend almost everything to Ukraine and help out Maui at the same time to an enormous degree. That's how much we have. We are extraordinarily wealthy country. And the place where we're squandering it more than anything else is in the national debt and the interest we have to pay on that debt. Because just like probably a lot of us, I think 77, 78% of us are in tremendous debt. We owe more money than probably we're ever going to pay back. Uh, Our representatives who represent us, it's, I think, natural that they're going to do the same thing, unfortunately, that they're going to spend money that we don't have. That's a significant thing. I don't know. Maybe doing the numbers is, uh, is a little bit crazy. Uh, by the way, how much money are you sending to Ukraine? Uh, with that figure, uh, $892 million, or $892 per taxpayer. So you're sending uh, 20 bucks per taxpayer. Um, if, you, if, we fulfill, if we did uh, $700 per household, $20, that's what we're sending to Maui, but you're sending $892 to the war in Ukraine. Couldn't we make that $872? Am I just dreaming here? But I feel like we ought to have the ability in this country to say, you know what? We're not going to spend this over here. We're going to take a little bit and put over here. Well, we think the Ukraine thing is important. Fine. We, you know, we don't want to have, you know, whatever you think about that. Is it going to change the course of history to, to decide, oh, we can't afford that $2 billion over here? I don't think so. It's an amazing thing about our country, but that we have so much wealth. But something to think about for all of us is that we have the ability to do so much more to help people if we're going to do that. And I think we need to take a look at that. We need to be asking some questions. All right, this is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back uh, as the Wednesday edition of the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at pastorscott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show, 888-528-2557. Have you, are you somebody who you were going to church regularly before the COVID and shutdowns, 
and then you stopped going to church, or maybe you were watching online, but now you're back in church. Have you come back, and how's that going for you? The reason I ask is that the numbers have been pretty dismal about how many people left the church uh, during that period of time. However, uh, the good news is, is some of those numbers are a little bit better. So about 33, about a third, per, 30%, 33% of regular churchgoers, however you define that, it's a scary thing to define that because it's often defined as once every six weeks. Like you're a regular churchgoer if you go once every six weeks. So that's eight times a year. That's it? You're regular in 52 Sundays? Um, and does that include Christmas and Easter? Those probably shouldn't even count, right? There's people who, who never go to church who go on uh, Christmas and Easter. Um, down 30%. But over the past year, according to an organization called the Unstuck Group, uh, church attendance, in-person church attendance is up 22%. And uh, that is really, I think, the first time since the shutdowns that people are going back to church. I think that's a good number because I think we need to be together. We need to be in person. And the number of online viewers, church viewers, went down 6%. Now, it's probably because a lot of those people started going to church in person, right? So that's, I think, where some of that is. But you know, and it's not that there's something wrong with the online church in certain circumstances. There was a week, uh, several weeks ago, where we, two of us were sick, and we decided, okay, we're not going to go to church. But the thing is, is we got to watch it online and uh, from our living room, and that was great. We got to keep up with what's happening at church. But we don't want to be, and I don't think you should be, the person who never attends a church service somewhere, unless you physically can't. I mean, some of you have a reason but that you're not part of fellowship somewhere, that you're not engaged with other believers if you're a Christian, or if you're somebody who is seeking out spiritual things. You know, the online stuff might be great for you because, to a certain degree, because you can, you don't have to worry about people asking you questions or whatever anxieties you might have about going to see a group of people. But the problem is, is that there's nobody to get in a relationship with. There's no follow-up. There's nobody knows you're there. And there is a great, tremendous benefit to actually showing up and actually being at church. And uh, churches, you know, I think have seen this. So, I mean, a lot of people who didn't return to church, maybe a lot of you, you realize, you know what, I'm not sure that I'm even a believer, you know, and you're struggling in your faith for various reasons. You know, usually the reasons I hear that people decide that they're not Christian is, you know, especially if they've grew up in the church or they've been Christian for a while, it's usually one or two things. It's, um, I want, the real answer is I want to do stuff and I know Jesus doesn't want me to do this, so I'm going to reject Jesus. And that's the scary thing, but that's, you yourself are making you the, uh, you know, the, the Lord and Master of the universe and what's right and wrong, and you're making that choice to do that, and I think you should be thinking a little bit more about what it means that there would be a, a God of the universe and the authority that that God would have. But that's where a lot of people, you might say it's other things, but sometimes it's that. But then there's a lot of people who I think get discouraged about church because they'll say, say things like, well, you know, it just didn't work out for me. And I think that means a whole lot of stuff. I think some of what that means is I had expectations of, of church or of God or of Christians uh, that weren't met. And that can be discouraging, and I get that. You know, I, I I think you still need to make sure your focus is God and not the people who show up to church and not, you know, how a church service goes and other things, because those things are, 
are uh, changeable, and you can find a different church. There's different ways of participating, and yeah, there's some Christians who are jerks to you, but there are Christians who are super nice to you and who are doing the right thing. But regardless of what that situation is, you know, Jesus died for your sins. That's what church is about. It's not about how you can make it through the week. It's about how you're going to make it through eternity. And part of how you make it through the week, though, is you realize that God has provided the way for you to make it through eternity. And also while you're stuck here, you are here with a mission to let other people know about Jesus. And you are given the body of Christ here on earth to go to church. So good news, 22% in-person attendance over the last year. Um, that includes everybody, including kids, okay, according to the survey. I thought that's pretty good. Are you, have you gone back to church? Did you leave for a while and you came back? I'd love to hear your story. 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. Uh, the online stuff uh, is down 6%, like I said. I think that's good. Uh, giving is down. And that's a that's something that is uh, It's just a big deal because your church has to operate. You know, there's a lot of negative. I always felt bad as a pastor talking about the money thing at all, you know, for a while, especially when I got started, there was a lot of scandals with TV evangelists and people stealing the money and, and uh, lots of things that really hit the news, right? Is, oh, look what this terrible church did or this bad pastor. And, you know, this person did that. But, you know, most churches are not flush with cash anyway, right? Uh, you drive down the street and most churches, even the bigger ones, things are tight, and uh, the pastor is not getting paid that much. And most of the time, your pastor is not getting paid enough to live here in California. He's, you know, I know so many pastors who are driving for Uber and they've got other jobs. Most of my time as pastor, I spent a lot of time doing other things to try to make up the difference. That's that's the reality for for most. And most churches are spending the money correctly. Most churches are responsible with uh, all the things. And, uh you know, you hear the bad stuff on the news, and I was sensitive to that a lot as a pastor and preaching about it till I was convicted really by the understanding that Jesus talked about money all the time. And it is the thing that we think about. So on the one hand, you know, your church needs to be upfront and transparent and all those things about where the money goes. But at the same time, we need to give. And we don't need to give because God says, because God needs it. We need to give because God wants us to give, and it benefits us. Um, that is a, a really good thing. So giving is down. Part of it's uh, nonprofit giving across the board is down uh, in our country. We have become uh, less givers uh, in a lot of ways, and inflation affects a lot of that too. I mean, where do you cut the household budget when the gas is $5.50 a gallon? 888, you shouldn't cut it there, by the way, but that's what happens. 888-528-2557. Shannon in Huntington Beach, welcome to the Pastor Scott Show. Pastor Scott, thank you for having me. Hi, Shannon. Um, I have been looking for a new home church for a long time, since pre-COVID. And I just, I don't know how, if there's a directory or what I can do to find one. I became a Christian when I was 21, so it's been about 30 years. And um, I used to work at a Lutheran church for the school that they have there. Yeah. I've been to so many in Orange County, and I just, I, you know, I go alone, and I don't, I rarely meet anybody past, like, the greeting in the morning, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's it's been a challenge for the last couple of years just to find a home where I feel comfortable, and not just that I feel comfortable, but that I trust that it's Bible-believing and Bible-teaching, and, and short of going online and reading everybody's 
um, you know, statements of faith and, um, you know, what time their worship services are right. and looking at their, their groups. I just, I cannot figure out how to become an active member. Yeah, how to get connected a, with a church. And there's a lot of options and uh, it's, it's not that easy. Uh, you and for the yeah. first for the first time in my life, because my dad was a pastor and then I've been a pastor. I've only had a couple of years in my whole life where I wasn't forced to go to whatever church I worked at or uh, where my dad was the pastor. Right, so it's kind of right. it's kind of new for me in this past year, and I'm learning a lot about how hard it can be. But one of the things I would say to you, for sure, looking at the statement of faith and those things, but sometimes those things are not accurate as far as what the church actually believes. Right. Right. Uh, and I think you have to, uh, I think you've got to spend some time at each church. I think that's the hardest thing to do because your first impression might not be very good or it might take you a while. You're not going to get relationships right away. You got to kind of go there for a while. You got to probably join a small group. You know, there are things you got to do to commit for a period of time. And then if you decide that's not the place for you, it's a bummer because you got to start all over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that's pretty hard. So here's what I'll tell you. For sure, you want to go to a church that are Bible-believing. And what you need to know is, do they believe the Bible is true? Meaning that whatever the Bible says, if it's interpreted correctly, is that is that completely true? People can disagree on certain things, but do you acknowledge that the Bible has authority, or does the pastor have authority, right? Can the pastor say, well, I don't think this part of the Bible is true? If so, don't go to that church. You know, make sure you're going someplace where they believe the Bible is true. Find a church that helps you get to know people in small groups or something that is social or missional. Like if they have a mission thing going on, if they're going to Mexico or they have a neighborhood thing or they go feed the homeless, some of the best ways to get to know people are to go serve with them, yeah. uh, even serve in yeah. a kid's ministry or whatever, uh, and and do that. But I, I think one of the hardest things to do is to give it time, but that's what I would tell you, is to give it a few months. If find one that you feel like this might be okay. It's not going to be perfect. No church is perfect. Right. And you'll discover in time. You might go to the perfect church for a while, but eventually you'll find it's bad. I had a guy one time, he and his wife came to see me, and uh, she was telling me that she's not leaving the church they're in. He's going to leave. She said, it's not because of you. It's because he leaves the church every six months, and I'm tired of moving. And uh, <laughs> right. he thought we were the greatest thing ever. He had the, he heaped so much praise on me and our church, the greatest perfect church. He finally found it. And I thought, oh, I'll give this guy six months because we were not the perfect church. And uh, sure enough, six months later, he, would, he got, can't even remember what he got mad about, but it was dumb. But he was out. Uh, right. You got to be, you got to be committed in there. You know what? Send me, uh, you're in Huntington Beach? I am, send, yeah. Send me an email at pastorscott at kkla.com. Okay. And uh, I'll uh, I'll send you a few places, and hopefully you haven't been there. And if you have and you didn't like it, I'll make sure to let the pastor know he's a loser. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. I will definitely email you. Thank you. All but right. I will email you. I'm, I'm driving, so I'll do All it right. later. But thank you yeah. so much. Thank you, Shannon, very much. I know it's hard uh, finding a place. By the way, uh, KKLA's Pastor uh, Impact Pastors Conference is coming up September 21st. And uh, I'd encourage you, if you're a pastor or ministry leader, to go to that. And if you just heard that conversation, you heard these statistics, and you're just your brain's just really moving, hey, Impact 23 is going to be helpful to you. So check it out at kkla.com. Just click the Impact 23 banner. Register today. It's $5 or free if you find the coupon code. Hey, everybody, thanks for tuning in. You can watch the Pastor Scott Show on kkla.com, and you get the podcast. Look for the Pastor Scott Show, and you can follow us on socials, Twitter, Instagram, at Pastor Scott Show. Thanks, everybody. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Good night.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.